0: So, data can actually mean the difference between thriving or being left behind in business and supply chain. If you want to learn how to automate, orchestrate, and accelerate your data for future growth, please check out my last episode because I spoke to Dimitri of Halt, And that is going to be at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 42. and in your supply chain. First, a word from our sponsor, Border Buddy. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach into global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. BorderBuddy sees the struggle and has created a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce shopping cart like Shopify, Magento, eBay, and others, allowing you ease and peace of mind when selling to customers in North America. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from your door to theirs in real time. We're the first API based custom solution. Just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com forward slash let's talk supply chain. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. It's Christmas Eve and we are on the verge of the holidays. I hope you are enjoying the holidays, spending time with loved ones, eating lots of amazing food, and definitely ha- maybe having a couple of drinks. But don't drink and drive. So for the the second to last episode of the year, I am highlighting another powerhouse woman in supply chain doing amazing things. But before I tell you who that is, let's get to listener's corner and the question of the week. So the question came from Catherine out in London, and she was asking, what are your holiday traditions um, in supply chain? And actually, this question I turned into a contest for an Amazon gift card, and Joe Tillman on Twitter, he's at PFMGMT. He is actually the winner of the Amazon gift card, and I will be contacting him soon. So he says, it's watching a Christmas story and rereading the POI Christmas story article from at DC Velocity. I will have the link to that article. On the website, letstalksupplychain.com, under Listener's Corner. Then he says, then we sit around and debate whether or not Ralphie received a perfect order. I still think that thing in the stock... To tell time is miss missing. Hashtag perfection is in the eye of the beholder. Then he goes on to talk about Argyle socks, but you can go and check that out on Twitter or in the listener's corner. And then we also had also had AMR that's at Nile X Crakes. He said it's a family gathering, yet I don't have a picture of us right now. Can I still enter? So just so you know, I did ask them to post a picture. So both of them posted a picture on Twitter. Uh, remember to join in on the conversations on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Read up on all of the advice at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash listener corner. And send me your supply chain questions to listener at letstalksupplychain.com. So today I have Catherine Cooper on the show. And Catherine has had an amazing career. It continues with her transition into working for herself and we will talk about diversity, work-life balance and what success means to her. But first, let's learn just a little bit more about her before we get into her journey to success. So Catherine Cooper, educated as an engineer, Catherine has dedicated her career to the logistics industry with the last 20 years in top leadership positions. A CIO of a billion dollar global logistics service provider, and president of two successful consulting firms. She founded World Connections in 2006, where she works with senior executives from Fortune 500 companies, private equity firms, and global logistics service providers who partner with Catherine to develop innovative solutions at the intersection of technology and people. She's also been a thought leader in DC Velocity Magazine, uh, president of the Warehousing and Research Council National Board of Directors, president, board of trustees, Sum Bandila, South Africa, and Georgia Tech ISYE Advisory Board. And that is a 2019 appointment.
1: So welcome to the show, Catherine. Thank you. Very happy to be a part of this.
0: Yeah, and I'm excited to have you as a woman in supply chain on this series. I think that you have so much value to bring and there's so much to talk about today. So I think we should just dive right in. So my first question to you, and and this is kind of different from some of my other interviews, is when you think about back on your career, what does success mean to you?
1: It used to mean Uh, Keeping up with the definition of success as defined by others. So it would be following a career path of someone who was ahead of me, um, achieving a certain level by a certain age, getting to the C-suite. That used to define it. And then once I achieved all those milestones, uh, you realized you were doing it for other people or according to a prescriptive model. And now success for me is doing what I love doing um, and engaging with clients on a more authentic level um, and helping them with their supply chain challenges. So it's it's more fulfilling uh, to be achieving my own defined goals than going after it the way I first started out.
0: I love that. And actually, when you and I originally um, had a quick chat about coming on the show, that was one of the things that I wanted to highlight before we got into your journey Um, is that, you know, we always talk about the journey, not being straight and and that kind of thing. And, And we do talk about people's journeys, but we don't actually talk about how, you know, women in the industry, how people in the industry actually define success. And I think that it's changed over the years. You know, traditionally, like you said, it was, you know, that path of making it. Um, But now people are starting starting to realize, you know, that that making it is different for different people. And so I wanted to right off the bat, you know, get an idea of what success meant to you before we get into your journey. So thank you for sharing that with me. So why don't we talk about your journey now? Um, What was your first job? What did you study? How did you get into supply chain? Because it's so, I, it's so fascinating, people's stories of how they get into supply chain, because a, a lot of people, maybe not now, um, but even back to a few years ago, just sort of fall, fell into it.
1: So I fell into it um, right off the bat. So I've been in it pretty much my whole career and my education um, in industrial engineering and optimization fit into it as well. But my first job out of school was to um, be part of an engineering team building a robot that would strip paint from a F-16 radome. And I hated it. I hated the pure engineering side. It wasn't enough of um, human interaction. It was very mechanical. And that drove me to start looking around the company I was with for another alternative of of work. And then I fell right into a warehouse management system that was being implemented. And I was hired as a trainer. So again, we're talking, you know, 23 years old, um, pretty much right out of school, first kind of couple years into work. And my job was to help the people on the warehouse floor utilize the system they were being given and train them through it. And that hooked me right at the beginning because I'm like, wow, the technology is one side of it, um, but it's the adoption and the interface to the human side of it that intrigued me and that's pretty much where i've stayed my whole career. i've been cio and other deep technical fields, but where i i shine with my natural skills and where i enjoy it is that intersection of the human side with the technology.
0: Yeah, and i think that would have something to do with your engineering background.
1: Yes. Right. Yes, i would say yeah, when I studied engineering, I didn't know I was going to do supply chain. Um, but once I got into it, it was really clear to me that... Well, actually, you know, I have to take that back. I can't say it was clear at the beginning, but what evolved was an ever-changing field. Um, it was always dynamic. There was new things coming down the pike, new ways to to do things, and always an urgency um, in supply chain. You know, when when a mistake happens in a supply chain... Um, studies have shown and The Economist did an article on it that it affle- affects stock price more than any other glitch, you know, more than a plant closing or an untoward financial event. A supply chain uh, problem of shipping the product um, has a huge impact. And so, um, y- you know, there's a lot at stake and that's, that's exciting. So the dynamic field is what's kept me in it.
0: And I'm glad you shared that because I think that a lot of times, you know, I think we're starting to realize how much supply chain affects a business. Um, but to hear that it actually affects, you know, the stock prices um, is something that I think, you know, more and more people need to need to hear about so that we can make supply chain sort of that top of mind when we're thinking about... Uh, about business and how we're moving into the future. So I love to hear about, obviously, uh women in supply chain being featured, being honored. And you've been published several times. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how that came about? Because I know, you know, a lot of women in the industry um, know that there are a lot of people that um a lot of women that should be recognized. And sometimes we don't know how to go about that, you know, who's actually publishing that. Um, And so how did that come about and what opportunities came from it?
1: So it's kind of neat. I, I have a whiteboard in my office that, you know, big one on the wall that a lot of people do. And that's my map to almost everything in my, in my professional life. And whenever I speak or write an article or do a, a podcast similar to this, I write it down on, on one side of the board and then I wait because it's planting a seed. And at some point it's going to grow something. And it always has in my, what, 30 years of doing this. You don't know when you don't know what. Um, and if you go after those events by, expecting a particular payoff, you're not doing it for the right reason, right? Your motivation is, is going to come through skewed. But if you do it for uh, supporting other women or promoting yourself or um, just giving exposure to a particular challenge that you overcame and you want to share that um, and then get marketing as part of it. But if you do it kind of with a more general feel it's neat because there will be something specific that will spur from it later. And it's just fun for me. I'll, I'll do it. For example, today I'll write it on my whiteboard today's date and it may be 18 months. It may be two years. Um, it could be next week. You don't know when it's going to actually, um, bear fruit. Um, but not trying to make it directly linked more inextricably linked is kind of a fun game I like to do. Um, but I would say they feed on each other. So you, you've got to get started. Um, and you know, there's various ways to do that, but I would say once you get your toe in the water, you get your first publication that leads to the next one, because then you show the next people who are interested. It's, you know, kind of like once you've been hired once it's easier. So, um, and then speaking has been a, a huge thing. Get yourself into the conferences. Um, They're really relevant to your field and get the speaking opportunities. And then most of my writing um, has come from that. The the people will be in the audience and they come up and they say they'd like to do an article on that topic. And then it spurs a, a printed piece.
0: Let's talk about the uh, speaking component just for a moment because I think that that is something that is very intimidating um for most people um and for women in general um because I think that we sometimes have that mentality of you know should I be up there you know um am I good enough you know do I know enough um and so how you know did you struggle with any of that and how if you did how did you overcome it and um what do you what do you speak about? Are you like a keynote speaker? Are you on a panel? Um, because I think it's important to note that yeah. there are different opportun- speaking opportunities, right? If you're not comfortable being a keynote or a PowerPoint presentation uh, pre- presenter, sorry, that um, you could be a moderator. You could be a panelist. I mean, there's a lot of opportunities there.
1: Right. So I think it's a, it's an evolution. So you start with the small, you know, uh, session type speaking um, at a particular conference. And then from that, you if you get, you know, good ratings and good turnouts, you kind of got to earn your stripes. Then um, I was able to progress up to uh, giving uh, the keynote at the warehousing and research conference a few years back. Um, But you know, I think humility comes into play. You've got to have a really uh, good balance of humility plus an ego. The ego is what gets you out there to realize I can go do this. I can stand in front of a thousand people and speak. But the humility helps you because you realize if I make a mistake, it's okay. I'm human. They know I'm human and it is okay. And you can keep going with that and you don't have to be perfect. Um, I actually fell on stage the very first time I went on to it at the work conference. At that point, I was just introducing a speaker. Um, I was on the board of the, of the conference committee. So I had, you know, equivalent of like a 32nd spot um, to go on stage and say, and now our next speaker is uh, Mr. Blah, blah, blah. And I walked right on stage and fell and, you know, you stand up and you're like, all you want to do is hide. You just want to run. Um, and you know, you realize, okay, my, my goodness, there's people in the audience who need to know that they're okay too, and that you're okay and stand up and keep going. Um, so then when I finally got the keynote, let's say about progress, about five years later, um, now I'm actually the speaker being introduced. Um, I went on stage and I talked about that. And I said, you know, if I get off the stage without falling, I want a round of applause. I've earned it. I came back here. I'm bold enough. <laughs> but that kind of, you know, humility with it um, makes it a lot easier. And it's it's one where once I kind of got more comfortable with being willing to make a mistake um, in any venue at any level, then then I think you're you can go further out on that limb and shine even more.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that story um, and for getting back up because I think that that <laughs> is definitely something to celebrate. Because you do want to just lie, I, lie there and not go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you absolutely do. <laughs> Like
1: they can't see me, can can. they?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Because it's so so important for people to hear. Because again, we are all human, and I think one one other really good point to make is to just get started. You know, just do that one. I have spoken in the past on this show about my stage fright because I do have stage fright, but I have I have just done two uh, speaking engagements in the last month. Um, and they went very well, and now I've been asked um, to moderate a panel at TPM. And so, oh. you know, it, yeah, it's just about putting one foot in front of the other and just doing it, and getting a little bit more comfortable every single time. You're not going to be, you know, super comfortable with it the second or third or maybe even fifth or tenth time. And I, I also read somewhere that it's good to be nervous. Though, you know, you're you're a good person if you're nervous before you go up there. So.
1: Right, right. And realize everyone else is too, right? More people are afraid of public speaking than, you know, it ranks depending on things with shark attacks, right? Dying of a shark attack or public speaking, and they can't decide which one is more scary, or they have more of a fear of. And, um, you know it's irrational because you know one you could look at it more people die from selfie related accidents than they do shark attacks but no one seems to be scared of their selfie opportunities um and public speaking is it's an irrational fear because once you kind of think of it that way and you go yes i'm very nervous but what are you nervous about making a mistake okay well once you made a big one like falling, you kind of get over it. But once you realize I have a lot to share, and you know we can get past um, a few ums and ahs and misuse of words to get the the general content across, um, people are, are are more happy to hear what you have to say than worrying about you know your your few little foibles in your presentation.
0: Yes, and you are good enough and you know your stuff, and you know, people want to hear from you. So, just a few things to to take note there. So, I want to sort of change direction a little bit and I want to talk about your journey as a woman in supply chain. Um, Because a lot of times, as a woman in the industry, um, especially with it being male dominated, um, there's some decisions that we have to make. Um, So, what were some of the tough decisions that you had to make? being a woman in supply chain. When you and I spoke previously, we talked about the golf scenario. And so I thought maybe we could talk Mm -hmm. about that today.
1: So, yeah, I, let's see. That's a, the golf scenario was, I was on an exec team and they, everyone was a golfer and they, uh, literally sent me to uh, Southern Pines to learn golf because I needed to learn how to play, um, to participate, to be part of that team. And it was, you know, I wish I would just taken the $5,000 and said, you know, I'll just join you at the bar later. Don't spend the money on my training lessons because it did no good. Um, Because it's so much more than that, right? It's not, it wasn't the fact that I didn't know how to, you know, hold my clubs or what I needed to do is that it wasn't an authentic exchange for me. That's not what I enjoyed doing. It came through in my attitude and I had to find a different way to, to find those, um, mentoring opportunities or um, collegiate exchanges, because it wasn't going to be on the golf course. Um, And I think that luckily, that's kind of toned down a little bit. It's no more so male-dominated social events um, that also business is done on. But you have to know that if that's not going to be your your way you do it, then you, it's your job to find a different way. And there are plenty of options. Um, but you have to proactively go seek them. You just don't shrink back and say, well, they made that decision on the golf course, so... You know, I'm out of the game. You have to say, hmm, well, then I'm going to be down there at breakfast and I'm going to talk about how did their game go. At least I'll seem interested. Um, and you find other ways, creative ways to inject yourself back into that level of, of, um, executive, uh, interchange so that you can still, still, you know, hold your own. Um, but you don't have to be who you're not. It turned out I didn't have to be a golfer. I thought I did. And I actually didn't, Um, but that doesn't mean I didn't have to find other ways to to stay engaged with my exec team.
0: Yeah, so that of course that is a great segue into my next question. You know, what was your best strategy or workaround to deal with that?
1: Um, You know, one is one thing is, and this is a little of a side answer, and then I'll come back to it. But I think that. It is obvious when we're keeping score. I can tell when someone else is keeping score with like my staff, right? Or did I treat them all the same? Um, did so-and-so get as much exposure in front of the client as the other person? And the score te- keeping is, is apparent, even despite how you try to hide it. So probably midway through my career, I let go of that, meaning... Sometimes I got asked to be on a panel because I was a female and I can tell, you know, I did my own and held my own, but the reason I got put up there was because it was all male and they needed a female. But there are other times where I didn't get put on a board because it's a male dominated and they stuck with men. Um, And keeping score was exhausting. Did I not get this because I was a female? Did I get that because I was a female? And I just let go of it and decided I'm not going to keep score. It will work itself out at the end. And if I get on the board because I was a female, I will earn the position of president on the board and climb through the ranks because of my skill sets. And I'm not going to worry about how I got there. And there will be times I won't get on something, but that's okay too. I'll, I'll spend my energy in a different direction. Um, So the scorekeeping was one, I think that really helped me relax as a female and just say, look, I'm here to compete just the same as everybody else. And I'm not going to worry about how my gender comes into play. Um, And then when you do that, I do think it relaxes the the men around you because you don't appear to be um, caught up in keeping score. Um, did I get invited to this meeting? Did I get to go to that? Did I was it? Did we do after dinner drinks? And was it an appropriate bar for a female to be part of? And when you don't look like you're trying to track all that to the person and to the event, I think the men around you relax, and then more opportunities kind of open up.
0: That is. Amazing. That is a really, really great point. And I love that you brought that up because all too often, you know, sometimes we might be thinking that, um, but it's not really something that's really talked about, you know, and, and you're sort of maybe caught up in your own head. And it's nice to know that you're not the only one thinking that, uh, first of all. And second right. of all, you know, how to really deal with that.
1: Yeah, I think that... um <laughs> there's a funny story that I, just to share with the group, but just to make other women um, help them with their decisions, I guess. So I had one meeting and it was in New York city, so all men, I'm the only female on the team and we are leaving the meeting and going to a dinner and it's downtown Manhattan and it's cold and I, we have to hurry and get there. And so we're a little late. And so the men are booking it through the city, right? We're running. I am in running in high heels with them trying to keep pace because we need to get to the dinner. And in New York City, they have the grates, right? Where the subway and everything's underneath. So on the grates, when you're in high heels, you can't put your weight down. So you're running on your toes because it's a grate. And so you don't know when a grate's coming or not coming because it was dark. So you run on your toes the whole time. I literally almost broke my ankle trying to keep up with the men. Okay. Now fast forward. And now we're at a retreat It's with the spouses. Everyone's there. The same men that I ran and practically broke my ankle to keep up with were doting on their wives, were saying things like, well, we'll be late for dinner because she's running a little late. And they were very accommodating to their spouse, to their females in their lives. And I thought, you know what? Looking back on that, I shouldn't have risked breaking my ankle. I should have said, guys, I'm taking a cab. I'll see. I'll meet you at the airport. I mean, I'll meet you at the restaurant. And I bet you four other guys would have gotten in the cab with me because they didn't want to run either. But the leader of the pack set the pace and I should have protected myself in a way that a female should be protected in the sense of we had high heels on. I did that day. Um, and looking back on it, that was one of those times where I wish I'd learned my lesson earlier. Cause I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have run through the city in high heels on a rainy night in the dark over crates just to keep up with the guys. Um, so I think that, you know, getting more relaxed on being who you are, um, I don't know that that's something that comes with age and comfort. Um, but I'm really in, enjoying that level of, of decision-making at this stage.
0: <laughs> that story made me smile because it's something that I would have done. Yeah, and think then thinking back to. on it, I would have been like, you know, wait a second, why didn't I just jump in a cab? Yeah, I, I mean, so also,
1: love- and I'm hyperventilating at the restaurant. <gasps> I'm like, that was really attractive. And I'm like, okay, this was just stupid. And it it's one where stop and ask yourself, you know, I mean, I know we try to hang and not call our, our gender out differently. But if you're in high heels, because that's a woman in a suit in, a, in an important board meeting, it doesn't mean you have to run in them. And um, take a second and protect yourself a little bit. And I, I learned that a little late,
0: <laughs> except for if you're running for charity. I think there's a
1: high heel. Yes, level. there is.
0: For <laughs> oh, charity, that is the only time you should run. A heel. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So um, you spent a lot of your career in corporate life. And then you transitioned into working for yourself. And we're going to get into that in a moment. But I wanted to find out from you, from working in corporate life, um, other than running in high heels, what were some of the sacrifices?
1: Uh, family. So they say you can have it all. And, you know, I'm like, no, not true. <laughs> um or do you want it all? All is not always good, right? So having it all means you've really you know, strapped everything down. I think you can, just not all at the same time. So there were times where I really charged on my career. And I wasn't you know, the mom baking the cookies. But then there were times where I pulled back. And I said, okay, this is the year I'm going to focus on the kids a little bit more. I was lucky. I had twins, a perfect industrial engineer's dream. So they moved as a unit. So I was able to say this year is this and this year is that. So that was a an IE's dream for kids. But um I would say the sacrifices are are the family side because you're not, you know, you're constantly evaluating are you good enough? And just no right now, no. You're not going to be. But if you're a good enough mom for your family and your kids, you're good enough. And um, explaining to your kids what your career means and what your job means to you um, helps. And it helped me. Um, I I let them know what I was doing and why I was away. Um, And there were times where it really would come down to a really tough decision um and you would have to make those tough calls and i don't think men always have to face that um because if it's a you know tonsils out or something the wife is home if they have a big 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 trip they'll be home tomorrow and i'll buy you ice cream but the wife has to be the one the mom taking them and helping them with the pre-op and um post-op surgery and all that kind of stuff so those are the things that are hard as a female the more
0: emotional Side of things, right? Sorry
1: to so that's that part was a challenge. Um and I again I guess I've become not a scorekeeper on anything now, but uh you know, I don't keep track of that either. I my boys are eighteen and in college and you know, you know, contribute to society just fine. I did a decent job as a parent. And um, I think that You know, just relax the stress on that a little bit on yourself as well, because it will be a constant debate for the rest of your life because you'll always be a mom and just know that and quit trying to find perfection. Just view every situation as what's the best I can make given the circumstances around this event.
0: Yeah, and everybody has mom guilt. But I do like, you know, the fact that you were sharing with your kids the reasons why. You know, why you were potentially leaving on a trip, you know, what it meant to you, how exciting something might have been for you when it came to work and, and why it meant so much to you. And I think that that's really important, not only for the mom guilt side, but also to, you know, even bring into that relationship that you have with the kids to say, Hey, I'm not just a mom. You know, I love doing all of these other things and I, I'm, I'm going to be there for both um, you know, at different times in your life. And, but this is why I really, truly want to do those things. So, um, my next question to you, and again, I just mentioned it, you know, you transitioned into working for yourself after the corporate life. How did you make that decision? Because obviously going from having an employer to either being self-employed or being the employer, um, is a huge transition. And, uh, so just a few thoughts on that.
1: So the, the real driver initially was because I wanted to control my schedule better, um, being, uh, you know, I'd say, you know, high powered exec in my world. And then the, the dynamic pace of supply chain, um, and logistics, it was, you know, a high demanding job and I was always on the road. Oh, I'll, I'll work for myself and that way I can control my travel. Well, I traveled as much or more because when you work for yourself, you, you tend to get excited about what you're doing and, um, you want to make everything perfect. The difference was I knew how important being home on Sunday night was for my family. And that was a big night of bath time and schoolwork and packing your backpack and making the lunches for the week and getting them geared up for Monday, um, So I would leave at a 5 a.m. on a Monday morning, but as long as I could stay home Sunday night, that mattered to me. Um, and being able to choose that as my own direction, I could. When you work for somebody, when I was in corporate, they would have Monday morning staff meetings and they're at eight o'clock, which meant I had to travel way early and out on Sunday night. Um, and so, you know, a simple moving that to an 11 a.m. or moving it to a Tuesday, would have made the difference for me, um, but I couldn't ask a whole nother exec team to change your, their way of doing things around my schedule. Um, but working for myself allowed me to to better uh, manage critical things that just were important in my household and. Um, I worked just as hard. I made just as much money. um, I've done just as well. So that it really wasn't a sacrifice in my career, um, but it was a a way to manage the home life a little bit easier.
0: And I hope you don't mind me asking you this, but how old
1: were you uh, when you made that decision? Oh, no. So um, just after... So I did it early in my 30s and then that's when I had um the kids were, you know, toddlers. So and then, and then I went into corporate when they were in elementary school and then right when they started that 12 years old kind of bracket um that's when I pulled back out and said I got to go back on my own. Um and the reason was if anybody's, you know, listening to this that has kids, When they turn 12, 13, 14, they don't need you all the time, but when that 13 year old boy does come and start talking to you. By God, you want to be there because you never know when he's going to do it again. He might not talk to you again for another two months. So, um, so I knew I needed that flexibility again. And so I was a little tipped over a little fort uh, into my forties. Um, but it wasn't so much my age as it was the age of the kids um, when they were preteens and about to head into high school. That I wanted, I wanted to make sure that I could control my destiny of my time a little bit better.
0: Interesting. And the reason why I ask that question is because I am finding, you know, that a lot of people do go out on their own and work for themselves into their forties. And sometimes, you know, um, when you're in your thirties, you're kind of thinking you know, I should already be there or, or different things like that, but some of that mentality. So I just wanted to ask that question. Um, so that everybody has an idea, you know, not that everybody's path is the same, but has an idea that, you know, when you're in your forties, you, you can definitely still go out and do that in your fifties, you know? So oh, just yeah. wanted to throw that out there.
1: Yeah. So, There's um,
0: a- and I, and I like, sorry, go ahead.
1: I was gonna say there's a maturity that you gain later in life too that um, allows you to go out on your own a little bit easier because when you're de- when you're on your own you have to be completely self you know self-directed self-motivated and there are days when you are slammed busy and you feel exceptionally successful and productive there are days when a client will cancel on you or you don't get the call back you were expecting and you don't have anything to do. And you feel useless. And you have to tell yourself, I'm not useless today. There are other things I can do. Um, but you you become your own cheerleader, your own paycheck, your own everything. And with that um, comes a lot of uh, self-talk <laughs> to get through it. Um, you know, no one else is encouraging you to write up your your description of a session that you want to give at the new conference coming around in the spring and you better get it in by November because that's when they slot the spring conferences. You have to be directed to do that. And then the fact that you didn't get selected last year doesn't mean you don't try this year. Um, And so there's a a lot of confidence you need to bring to it when you go on your own.
0: Absolutely. Self-discipline and self-motivation and uh, a lot of self-talk. Don't yes. I know that. Um, okay. So uh, do you have any advice for the You've, you know what, you've given so much value and so much advice already. Um, I, It's almost silly asking this, but do you have any more advice for the next generation?
1: Um, You know, I think just be kinder to yourself would be it. And you're not competing um, with anybody except yourself. Um, you, you'll you take a, you know, you watch people in executives um, positions and then they suddenly get released. Um, and so I think it's just you don't get tied up in your title. Get tied up in what you like doing. And if you do that, you know, it's – sorry, I can't remember who said it. But you know, if you like what you're doing, you're not working. Um, and I think that truly comes into play. Um, and I think that it's just helpful to to enjoy what you're doing and not in the scorekeeping, I would go back to that, relax a little on that too. just know if you're if you're doing everything that you enjoy, then it will work itself out and you will be motivated to do all the things that it to keep keep you going forward in the industry. Um, a side bit of advice I would give that I just, just top of mind because I was recently sharing this with somebody else but it was um, and it, it kind of relates to women and supply chain and it's to share your decision risk especially if you're a leader or helping a company make a decision. As women we tend to do the research and then say this is what you should do. Um, I think that when you're When you're approaching a team and telling them about a risk um, that could be coming down the pike or something they need to prepare for, um, I found I've been more successful when I open it up and share the decision with the team and say, how do we feel about this? I'm going to present some pros and cons and then get them to come together. And so I actually put it on my agendas now. It doesn't say um, we will be doing this. I say decision required and that means as a group we're about to do this and um it really takes the spotlight off of you if the decision doesn't go well but it gets a more collaborative discussion going forward um, and it helps the communication of it um as well i just think as females and as leaders putting all that together we tend to just go um this is what we should do. And you make a strong recommendation. And I think you're you're the one out there on the limb by yourself. And there's no reason you need to go do that.
0: Such great advice. So I hate to wind down this interview because we I think we're having so much fun. But, um, you know, what does the future look like? What's next for Catherine?
1: Uh, more of the same. I'm really enjoying it. I enjoy working at the, um, working with the executives that are taking on large projects and helping them, you know, exactly at that intersection. They know what system they're going to buy. Um, and they just hope their people are going to use it. So we go, let's take hope out of the equation. So, um, I'm, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. I've, I've climbed my mountains at this point, and I think now it's helping others climb theirs.
0: I love that. I love that. So what have we learned today? We've learned about not keeping score. We've heard some amazing stories about, you know, running in high heels and taking a cab instead. So if you have a strategy or a vision, you know, it's always a good idea, but make sure you also, you're also okay to pivot and make changes because that path to success is never straight. And I think Catherine has really demonstrated that for us and provided so much value and advice. So to connect with Catherine and, for more information, go to the website at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 43. Catherine, do you have a website
1: that people can visit you at? Oh, I love it. It's at worldconnections.com. One word S on connections, worldconnections.com.
0: Great. Okay. I'll also have that on the website as well. So I just want to thank you, Catherine, for coming on the show and sharing your amazing story.
1: Oh, I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. If you
0: liked this episode, make sure to check out the rest of my Women in Supply Chain series at letstalksupplychain.com, and you can find them listed under the podcast page. Coming up in 2019, I am going to be featuring more women in my Women in Supply Chain series in various different content formats, so I'm so excited to share that with you once I am launching that. So next week, I have combed through All the episodes from this year, I've picked out the golden nuggets of advice that everybody, all of our guests have spoken about, have given to us, and I have also taken the advice from the Woman in Supply Chain series, and I've put it all together in one Final episode of the year. You are not going to want to miss this episode because you are going to get nuggets from all sorts of different aspects of the industry, from the woman in supply chain series. Some really, really great advice is going to come out of this episode. Uh, So make sure that you go and check out that episode. It is being released on December 31st, so that is New Year's Eve, so we can all start the new year off right. So there's a few ways to support the show. Remember to review and rate it on iTunes so other people can find us. And plus, I would just love to hear your thoughts on the show. I, um, I also have a supply chain dictionary on the website under shop. Uh, go to ships.com. That's at we are so close, so you're going to want to put your information in and be one of the first ones to know about what we've been working on. And again, follow the show on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram as we have some amazing conversations every Wednesday for Listener's Corner Plus, you can see videos and all sorts of things about the newest episode. I wish you all the best for the holiday season. I won't wish you the best for 2019 just yet because that will come in my next episode. But be safe and enjoy. Thank you for all your love and support in 2018. And I am super excited to share 2019 with you. So remember, everybody, ship happens.